house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. No king of England had ever visited America before. So nice of you to come. Mr. President, forgive me for not getting up. So Franklin invited them here to the country where we could all relax. Your mother has now told me for the tenth time not to call her Royal Highness Elizabeth. Do you mind if I call you Elizabeth? No. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with one too many animal metaphors to keep this lumber business afloat. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I'm here with my co-host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. So before we get started, I just want a little celebratory moment to say this is our 10th episode. Oh, man. God, that happened quickly. It did happen quickly and like so kind of slowly, too, because, I mean, behind the scenes <laughs> info for our listeners, we did true. some test episodes before just to like get the chemistry right and try to figure out format. And we've been figuring it out as we go and we scrapped an episode. But, um, they, you know, so it does feel like. Fine. It, no, all that's totally fine and learning process, but at the same time, it's exciting to deliver this many episodes already for our listeners. This is true. I'm very excited. Um, I feel, yeah, I don't know. What is the 10th podcast anniversary? What's the gift? What's the traditional gift for that? That's a Casper mattress? That's a, uh, yeah. a subscription to Blue Apron? What's going on? <laughs> what happens here? Yeah. It's an Audible.com membership. Ah, oh, wonderful. I've always wanted um yeah and just you know thanks to all our you know listeners for being on this fun little silly little ride with us i don't know it's a yeah. good time i'm having a good time we record decently ahead but um at least so far some of the comments that we've gotten and uh received especially on twitter have been really wonderful please continue to rate subscribe and yeah. review on itunes give us uh, them five star reviews we want them we need them they make us so happy, and it really helps boost us up on the iTunes charts as well. Now let's um, talk about something that did not make us happy. <laughs> let's talk about something that made us significantly less happy. This week, we are looking at Hyde Park on Hudson, the 2012 lighthearted take on FDR and his relationship with his cousin, Daisy Suckley, as the president receives his first visit from King George VI at his summer estate. So, Joe, yes. why did this movie have an Oscar buzz? Yeah, so it's a really good question to ask after you've seen the movie because you're just like, oh god, <laughs> um, why did this, why did Hyde Park on Hudson have Oscar buzz? Um, well, you know, any movie about the Hudson Valley is clearly going to be, you know, obvious Oscar bait. Now, um, I was thinking about I was as I was watching, I was like, what other movies have made such like explicit reference to places in the Hudson Valley as if you've heard them, as if you've heard of them, like. You know, constantly. I always think of, like, Reds when they talk about, um, where do they go? Do they go to, like, Rhinecliff or something like that? Like, I feel like in Reds they're always talking about this one specific place up the Hudson, and now I can't remember it. Um, I haven't seen Reds because I never seem to have a spare five hours. I will tell you, it kind of flies by. It's a really, really good movie. It's one of those, like, eat your vegetables movies that is actually fantastic. Um, it's always perpetually in, because I get discs from Netflix, too. It's always perpetually in, like, my top ten, but based off yeah. of, like, something I'm working on or uh, just something I really, like, suddenly want to see, it always gets yeah. bumped down. You know what's a fun little piece of trivia about Diane Keaton that I've always enjoyed is that she's had one Oscar nomination in each decade since the 70s, although we are rapidly running out of air, you know, uh, tarmac space here in the 2010s for her to get her 2010s nomination. But Honestly, she's... I am convinced that Book Club, all of her wardrobe came from her own personal <laughs> wardrobe, so give her a costume design nomination. Something. But yeah, her 70s nomination was Annie Hall, for which she won. Her 80s was Reds. Her 90s was Marvin's Room. And her 2000s was Something's Gotta Give. So... 
again, we are running out of time to get this fifth nomination for Diane Keaton. This needs to happen. We've got next it. Year. It's gonna happen. All right. Um, but I feel like if we're talking about why did Hyde Park on Hudson have Oscar buzz, I think it sort of it doesn't begin and end with Bill Murray, but it certainly begins there, which I think is kind of funny if you think about it in the context of Bill Murray's entire career. Because for the longest time, he was just, not just, but like he was the comedy guy. He was an incredibly well-respected and well-regarded comedy guy, but like he got a Golden Globe nomination for Ghostbusters and musical or comedy, but like that's basically it. He wasn't, I think... A lot of it was that they're different. There were different times, and this was before, like, you know, Jim Carrey was racking up, you know, tons of Golden Globe nominations for his his, you know, very broad comedies, and then kind of transitioning into serious acting and back again. But even if you look at the Jim Carrey stuff, he never got Oscar nominated for The Truman Show or for Man on the Moon. So there was still a good bit of resistance in terms of comedic actors transitioning back and forth and i think bill murray was pretty comfortable in the comedic realm he was making ghostbusters he was making scrooge he was making what about bob and groundhog day it's funny now you think about like groundhog day and the way that like especially like modern day critics will talk about that movie as being like a perfect comedy movie and it's not like that movie was disrespected in its day but it's not like groundhog day was one of those like we got to get this comedy you know it's it's yeah do that really didn't happen for a while afterwards um well and one interesting footnote about bill murray is that it was already kind of attempted because back in the 80s he made the razor's edge right and that did not fly no that sort of that was that's a good point it was bad. And, yeah <laughs> yeah so and then he but again he just sort of like he found his groove even do you remember that 1993 movie mad dog and glory of course i remember that movie i Where remember that whole, poster where the whole Where? twist of it is that, like, De Niro... It's De Niro, right? Yes, and Uma De Niro, Thurman. Right, and De Niro is sort of, like, the mild-mannered guy, and Murray is the fearsome gangster. And that still is a comedy, but it's one of those, like, oh, like, Bill Murray's kind of stretching his normal, usual thing. And then, of course, he goes right back and is in space jam and larger than life and the man who knew too little right after that so it's not like that really stuck but sorry you had a memory of mad dog and glory i wanted to you wanted to mention no just specifically the poster i like the quintessential withering uma thurman look on that poster (laughs) yeah that's the uma thurman oh god like i have to i have to be in this movie in order to get to pulp fiction look yes (laughs) But then that all changes in 1998 with Rushmore, and Wes Anderson sort of sees something in Murray, sees this kind of, you know, he's still incredibly funny, but he's also kind of sad. And there's this melancholy streak to him that Anderson really brings out in Rushmore, and he gets a boatload of critics' awards. Uh, National Society of Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and Los Angeles film critics all went for him that year, which is not very common. And particularly for a comedic performance. Absolutely. And so all of a sudden, he also gets the Independent Spirit Award. Um, I can't imagine he missed out on an Oscar nomination by much. But the fact that he did, there was this huge sense of, you know, that he was snubbed, that he was. There were a bunch of people in 1998. I feel like there was also a, a sort of a groundswell for Lisa Kudrow that year for The Opposite of Sex, although she didn't have quite the same precursor attention. Um, but that was also the year that, like, Joan Allen didn't get nominated for Pleasantville. Those supporting nominations in 1998 were actually deeply strange that we should maybe at some point talk about. Um, but Bill Murray was maybe, like, the most egregiously snubbed actor that year, and all of a sudden now the conversation about Bill Murray becomes very different. And then you combine that a few years later with Lost in Translation, which is somehow even, like, more of a critical darling. And he, in particular, he wins everything. He wins so much. And going into then the Oscar race, it's him and Sean Penn neck and neck. Sean Penn for Mystic River, Bill Murray for Lost in Translation. They both have these great narratives. Murray being like, you know, the comedian who has found his kind of sad melancholy niche with these auteur 
directors. Obviously, Lost in Translation was Sofia Coppola. Um, well, and you also had Johnny Depp kind of being the stealth nominee behind them. Like, right. that was surging, Who, especially after winning the SAG. Right. That's exactly true. Um, and then Penn's storyline is also, like, couldn't get arrested by the, you know, by the Oscars for the longest time. And then all of a sudden they started recognizing him. And now he couldn't miss with a nomination. He was getting nominations for Sweet and Lowdown and I Am Sam and that kind of thing. But he was always sort of resistant to it. And he was he had that sort of like Joaquin Phoenix thing for a while of like, I'm not going to, you know, recognize the Oscars, that kind of thing. Um, and then so it was that whole storyline coming to a point or the bill murray storyline and one of them was going to win and it ended up being sean penn and murray is sort of like famously sour-faced about it and um but then that narrative of him being owed that him being sort of the snubbed favorite gets even more sharp that's that's everything mm-hmm. then he would make from then on had this sense of okay well is this the thing that's going to win him the oscar to the point where i remember before the life aquatic with steve zisu that like people were sure that like no this is the thing it's back to wes anderson he's you they know, thought he's the whole even, show um, here even the jim jarmish broken flowers yes, was expected yes. to be a nominee for him and you look back and, at and both like, of those it's movies it's a jim charmish movie yeah you look back at both of those movies and you were it's honestly like what could we have possibly been thinking as and i don't think they're bad movies i don't love broken flowers but i think life aquatic is fine but they're not oscar plays they're really not no and but all of a sudden now he's become a different actor the vibe is different now all of a sudden he is an Oscar caliber actor at every single movie he makes, as long as it's not like a cameo in Zombieland or something like that, um, has the possibility for this to be the one. And so Hyde Park on Hudson comes along in 2012 and it's this perfect storm of an actor who we keep expecting it to happen for. And this like, Oh, well this is all the shit that Oscar loves. It's playing real people. It's playing American presidents. It's, um, an American president with a disability that like this movie is going to kind of focus on. And everybody was just like, Oh, yep. <laughs> this is the one, this is what's going to happen for Bill Murray. It was one of those pre like year ahead favorites sight unseen where everybody's like on paper, this has it all. And Roger Mitchell directing who isn't always a slam dunk, but like had done really, really good and popular work before he had directed Peter O'Toole to a nomination for Venus. He had directed Notting Hill, which is, you know, which was such an incredibly good and popular movie. And so, yeah, I think the Bill Murray thing was the engine that was driving the buzz for Hyde Park on Hudson for sure. And then you add Laura Linney, who at this point was a three-time nominee. I guess she's it's still a, now, <laughs> now she's still a three-time nominee, which we'll get into. Cause I think that's, garbage she should have so many more nominations (laughs) um but i think the combination of the both of them it was there was a sense of this has all the ingredients this finally will be if not the movie that we wanted bill murray to win his oscar for it'll be his scent of a woman maybe Right, exactly. I'm glad you brought up Laura Linney as well as Bill Murray, because I actually think the rest of this cast is actually really fantastic. And you can see in in a year where this would have actually registered and gotten some nominations, somebody in this supporting cast would have been nominated as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we should we'll, we should go through the cast as we kind of... Should we do the plot first and then delineate who is who in the cast? Uh, sure. Okay, Joe, let's do another 60-second plot description. Okay. I'm going to open up my timer. Oh, shit, you've got a timer app and everything. Somewhere. <laughs> I feel like this is a fun little, I, I, you know, for as much as I like to gamify things, if we can get a plot out in 60 seconds, especially we realize for these movies, these are movies that not that are not necessarily 
the most widely seen by everybody. And while we very much encourage all our listeners to play along with us and watch, you know, watch the movie with us because it's fun um, and because we don't want to suffer alone. Here's the thing. Um, we realize that some of you have not watched the movie and maybe want a little bit of a plot description before we really dive in. And so thus was born the 60 second plot challenge. We'll call it a challenge. We'll call it a challenge. Yeah. This one's probably, I'm going to guess this is a little bit easier because like the existence of this movie and you know who it's the a little characters infamous. are. It's a, yeah. 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 It's a little, um, it's right there. But anyway, your challenge is to describe the plot of Hyde Park on Hudson in 60 seconds, starting now. Okay, so President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in addition to being the architect of the New Deal and the father of modern liberalism, was also a de- dedicated cousin fucker who enjoyed cheating on his cousin wife Eleanor with his cousin mistress, Daisy, who in this movie is played by Laura Linney. He's also, at the same time, having an affair with his secretary, Missy, even though they're not related at all, and we don't find out about that until about halfway through the movie. All four of these people are at the Roosevelt's country state in Hyde Park to entertain the visiting king and queen of England, the stuttering one from the King's Speech. The Queen, who in this is played by Olivia Coleman, is a stuck-up old Brit who's horrified by the casual vibe at Hyde Park and thinks that they're being served hot dogs is an insult. But the hot dogs, which are weirdly a huge part of the plot, end up helping FDR and King George Bond, and they ultimately forge the special friendship that will help them defeat Hitler in World War II. And also at some point in there, Daisy gives Franklin an H.J., by which I mean a hand job, in a car, in a field, and the field is very beautiful, but she's fully wanking him off in Time. this car. Oh, right, go. You know, that's actually a good note to end on, because I feel like that instant... It's in the first, maybe, 15 minutes of the movie, and that's one of the things that completely puts people off on this movie as soon as they're watching it. And I was surprised it happened as early in the movie as it did, because I, I, I had visions of the movie sort of like leading up to this and this being this kind of climactic hand job, but it's really more of an expositional hand job, or at least like an inciting action hand job. Exactly. Well, and also I would say the way it's depicted, it's depicted like creepily demurely. Like initially I wasn't sure that the HJ was happening. Well, sure. But then it's so like dramatic and it's in this flowered field and it's like slowly pushing in on the car where we know that this hand is happening. Well, and also, like, we know they're related. She mentions at the very beginning, she's like, I'm his fifth or sixth cousin or something like that, which, fine, whatever. And they were um, childhood friends. and. But, like, he is older than her. Part of my thing with this movie was I, was, I think one of my notes that I jotted down was, like, how old are these characters as a, compared to their actors? And I looked it up, and it's actually pretty comparable where like FDR was 57 Bill Murray was 62 so that's fine I think the biggest disparity ends up being Eleanor Roosevelt and Olivia Williams where Eleanor was 55 and and Olivia Williams is only 45 when she made this movie but I think the way they film the movie because FDR is sick because he has polio so he's sort of plays a little older than the character is because he's kind of confirmed and then Daisy is his cousin and is presented as this incredibly Fresh-faced, optimistic, you know, I, it, it gets the sense that there is a greater age gap between them than just the nine years. But also, so when you take that, like, perceived age gap and the fact that they're cousins and the fact that it's filmed so surreptitiously, it does it's feel very creepy. uncomfortable and creepy. Yeah. Like, there's almost this hint of And she apologizes afterwards. It. Like, she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry I hanged you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in this beautiful field full of, like, wildflowers or something. It's... You also Um, brought up another crucial plot point that, in your description, is all of the business around hot dogs in this movie. Okay, I do want to get to that, but first I want to sort of, like, set the stage for who plays who, because I mentioned it a little bit, but, like... And we can talk about this supporting cast. Yes, uh, which is, yeah, that's why I wanted because you brought up the supporting cast, which I think is great. So it's Bill Murray as FDR, Laura Linney as Daisy, Suckley, which also, Suckley, like, everything about this movie is creepy. I don't understand yeah. why people have to be named things like that. Um, it's apologies to all then, you like... Suckleys out there, the you know, who have inherited the, you know, oh, I'm sorry, the, the Wisconsin Suckleys. Um, I don't know. You it mentioned just Olivia Williams plays Eleanor yes. Roosevelt, which, which is... It 
took me until after the movie was over to realize, oh, that's a Rushmore reunion. Yeah, yeah, stealth Rushmore reunion for sure. Same, same with me. I didn't really recognize that till later. I feel um, like Olivia Williams had the most conversation of the supporting cast because, I mean, they're all playing famous people for the most part, but yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt is such an important figure, and I think Olivia Williams is actually cast really well. Well, and, and also she had to wear those, like, whatever giant shoulder apparatuses they put under her dress to make her, like, we get it, Eleanor Roosevelt was, you know, a lesbian, we get it. We you know, get you don't it. Have and to the really... movie is very labored about, did you know she's a lesbian? It's very um, much just like her friend, like, and everybody lingers and sort of like looks at each other. And it's like, yes, we get it. Well, um, there was also this period where Olivia Williams felt like she was on the fringe of it, like finally happening. And eventually to the point of the ghost writer where right. it was just like a thing that never really caught on in the States for her. But elsewhere, like um, she was BAFTA nominated for that, right? That sounds about right. Ghostwriter? Yeah. Um, plus, she was in Rushmore. She was in uh, Rushmore. List, I, of course, loved her on, te- on television in Dollhouse. She's so good in Dollhouse. Um, so good in everything. Yeah. And then it's funny seeing her and Elizabeth Marvel in the same movie, because in, in certain ways, those two actresses, their types of roles kind of converge at times. And so Elizabeth Marvel is playing Missy, the longtime secretary of FDR, who we find out halfway through this movie, is also sleeping with him, um, which is very traumatic to Daisy. Um, Elizabeth Marvel is an actress I always love, and I, I do her. in this as well. Um, even when she's not given the the kinds of roles that are worthy of her, I think I always She's usually her. playing very stern people in Bourne movies. You know, she's yeah. always some, like, hardline CIA agent, but listeners, if you haven't already, you should watch her in Noah Baumbach's The Meyerowitz Stories on Netflix, where she does not play that character, and she's outstanding. She's phenomenal. She's so good. Um, Olivia Coleman, as I mentioned, is Queen Elizabeth, where it's so funny to me that we've gotten to this point where, like, Olivia Coleman is just playing different queens all the time, because, like, she was she already is one. Olivia Coleman is my queen. Well, of course. Um, she plays Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth here. She is Queen like she is the mother playing the mother of Queen Elizabeth II, who she will end up playing on the next season of The Crown. She's also the queen in Yorgos Lanthimos' The Favorite. Uh, as we mentioned, she's the queen of all of our hearts. She's, but it's funny because when I first started watching Olivia Coleman and things, she was like the sad cubicle worker in um, shit. What's that show? That comedy show that I can't think of. It's a British comedy show. It'll come to me. But she always seemed very like not pedestrian necess- necessarily, but like not of the royalty. And but she takes to these roles incredibly well. Yes. Um, and this one, she's very, she's playing like the stereotype marmy of Queen Elizabeth that she's constantly harping on Prince George. It's a lot, we'll get to the King's speech in a minute, but it's a very different take on yes, this character for sure. than what Helena Bottom Carter did, um, at least from a screenwriting perspective, um, She's the one who's a little more flummoxed at the American traditions of things when they're more casual or serving hot dogs. Um, at one point in the movie, she kind of blanches at this artwork on the wall of the room that they are staying in in Hyde Park, um, which has uh, depictions of the War of 1812, and the British are depicted as, is it monkeys? Something. Along those lines. They're, yes, and it's they're depicted pejoratively. And I remember thinking, like, okay, like, that's a slight. Like, that's something where it's, I can just yeah. be like, you know, that's a choice. But, like, she gets so offended by the hot dogs because she feels like they are being mocked by being served hot dogs. Which, like, we get it. Americans are crass. And the fa- the very crassness of Americans feels like an insult to you personally for having to be in the same room as it. Like, fine, we get it. Well, I think it's a testament to what a smart and interesting and funny performer she is, that her performance is so good, because the way that this character is drawn on the page is stupid. It's just 
yes. the complete utter cliche and she makes it really really funny and like doing her own nuance thing that we love her for like she and her husband have a full two arguments about hot dogs oh by the way i looked up on imdb trivia they have the list of what the actual historical menu was for that meal because it was printed in the new york times at the oh time God. uh hot dogs if weather permits which i think is so funny because it's like that's something <laughs> that like the whole menu sounds like something like like my mom would email to everybody being like we're having fourth of july at our house this year and this is what we're gonna have so it's hot dogs if weather permits beer hot dogs and... if weather permits would have been such a better title for this movie hot dogs comma if weather permits oh perfect well you should have made this movie beer and soft drinks cold ham from various states which i find hilarious we're literally just like you're just like getting deli ham from like different states it's perfect (laughs) turkey smoked and plain so they're fully having a sandwich bar at this which is like honestly almost more insulting quote unquote than the hot dogs which is just like we're not even gonna cook our meat for you we're just gonna be like here it's cold cuts like put your sandwich together yourselves which, by it the way, seriously is like a Fourth of July cookout. Like it, they might as well have a boombox with John Cougar playing. Like they don't even spring to like book John Cougar to play there. I will say this: one time there was a Christmas Eve dinner in our family, and something was going on where we were too busy to like do a full on like cook dinner. It was something where like there was also a funeral happening, or there was also like something was going on where it was too busy, and so Christmas dinner was a cold cut platter with like meats and cheeses and and condiments and bread and it was the best it was (laughs) so good i am very much like uh my namesake joey and friends and that my favorite food very well may be sandwiches sandwiches um also though on this menu various salads which again total cookout like they literally had them over for a backyard cookout and honestly how nice how sweet um donuts gingerbread cookies coffee and baked beans and brown bread that sounds fucking delicious i defy you to give me a better fucking buckingham palace traditional english whatever like that sounds delightful like in comparison to all of the like ducks they've eaten (laughs) yes yeah sorry this isn't suckling pig it's just you know oh god okay so because you mentioned the menu and the beer i think this is a good transition into one of the like smallest roles we'll probably mention here but elizabeth wilson as fdr's mother i a little a little background information i was texting chris yesterday about what we wanted to talk about on the podcast or maybe this was friday night and I said, just to be prepared, I'm probably going to go a couple minutes on Elizabeth Wilson. And you seemed so happy, Chris. I just that... text you, Gordon! Yes, that's right. Because, okay, of course... Okay, so listeners will yeah. know Elizabeth Wilson, especially from... She was a character actress, and she she done a million roles. She passed away about three years ago. But they'll definitely know her as um, Christopher Lloyd, Uncle Fester's uh, kidnapper, adopted mother... Dr. Pinderschloss. Dr. Pinderschloss, um, who plots against the Adams family. In the first Adams family movie. Yeah, yeah, when they realize that Uncle Fester is Uncle Fester. It's Um, such an underrated performance. I remember it's one of those things where it's like you watched it. I watched it the first time when I was a child, so I couldn't really appreciate the like the voice work that she's putting into. This role, she's every single line reading she gives in that movie is, is so funny. Oh, see, when I was a kid, I was definitely like mimicking her yeah. terrible German accent and knowing that it was funny because her accent was bad. The one point just she just goes, she tries to say, "I'm bringing him home to you," and she goes, "I am bringing him home to you." <laughs> it is so fucking funny. Also, you know. In researching her now for this, I, I connected so many dots. I didn't realize she played Roz in Nine to Five. Yeah, yeah, like the the uh, whatever it. the the snitch, the office snitch of Nine to Five. I used She's... to I, we I had an old job where there was this one coworker of ours who we called Roz behind her back because that was sort of the vibe God. that we had for her, and it was kind of perfect. Um, and a voice she actress, plays um. Uh, Van Doren's mother in Quiz Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's great. This was her last movie. 
Wow. Yeah, what a note to go out on. She's wonderful in the movie. She's very, like, sort of tetchy and and um, difficult in this movie, let's say, playing FDR's mother. Um, to take two seconds back to the Adams family. Yes, please I, do. There are people who, like, get really histrionic about Joan Cusack, rightfully, in Adams Family Values. Of course. I would say Elizabeth Wilson is as good in the first one. Boy, let's start making this like a gay Twitter thing. Let's let's start this. <laughs> Elizabeth Wilson and Adam's family. Let's just like yes, Elizabeth Wilson. You know, live queen. <laughs> yeah, um, she's great. She's great. Add us with your favorite Elizabeth Wilson line readings. Please. I fully want to like stop this podcast and just like go watch the Adam's family and just like read. I watched later. some clips this morning and absolutely laughed my ass off. Also, Angelica Houston is perfection in those movies. Like, honest to God. Talk about somebody who gets what that movie who is supposed to be. fully gets it, and that role especially. Um, anyway, we're here talking about The Addams Family this week on uh, this Head Oscar <laughs> If only. Um, okay, so, so the I think the only supporting cast member we haven't mentioned is Samuel West as King George, who Samuel West, I will always remember him um, from Howard's End, which oh. got that movie. Um, See, now I will only remember him as the fucking creeper dad in On Chesil Beach. On Chesil Beach? Um, I didn't, I missed that movie. You're fine. You're honestly I know, I'm fully fine. fine. Um, but Samuel West, I actually think, is really good. But again, it's in the shadow of the King speech, and you're talking about the same character that somebody already won an Oscar for. And this is very different. I think he is sincere in a way that the movie kind of asks him to be in a way that's more interesting than the movie is with sincerity and he's also very funny just his line reading of how he says hot dogs every time in the movie yeah is each time more defiantly than the last also there's a point in uh the movie where they're having the sit-down dinner um, not the hot dog picnic, but the, the sit-down dinner the night before. And these uh, things keep falling down. That's the other thing I kind of like about this movie, is they really emphasize the shabbiness of this Hyde Park estate. Not shabbiness, but sort of like the lack of grandeur, let's say, as c- compared to what these people from England are, are used to with their palaces and whatnot. But things keep falling down and clattering and getting dropped. And he keeps trying to make the same joke about how, you know, oh, there's an angel who passed by and, and knocked it over. That sort of thing where we used to have growing up, we had this china cabinet. And I like, had my parents still have it. Um, this china cabinet where the latch was sort of weak and it would frequently come unlatched and the door would sort of like slowly kind of swing open. And we would always say like, oh, that's like, that's grandma. Like grandma's here, like opening the China cabinet because it was her China cabinet. So it was one of those jokes. But Mm -hmm. because of his stammer, he, you know, it takes a while to get it out. And then once he does, everybody's very like proud of him for making a joke, uh, which I found very charming. I think he's good in the movie. Yeah. So, a few notes on Roger Mitchell as well, the director. Because he was a I feel very like... interesting man, I feel like, as a director. Well, and an interesting choice for this movie that makes us kind of... It connects the dots when, you know, you're looking a year and ahead of... A year ahead in what could be the Oscar players. He just was, at that at this point, the level that... Yes, it makes sense that this director could steer this towards being an Oscar movie. You mentioned Notting Hill and Venus. Um, tell us some other movies that he has done, Joe. Sure. I know that there are some that you are very fond of. I think, and and they're not ever the ones anybody talks about. I feel like his most high-profile movies are Notting Hill and... Uh, Venus, because of the nomination for Peter O'Toole, he directed Morning Glory, the movie with um, Rachel McAdams and Diane Keaton, the stealth Family Stone reunion, Rachel McAdams, Diane Keaton, and uh, Harrison Ford as the morning show people, which is not a great movie, but like, there's a great movie lurking there. Have you seen Morning Glory? I have not, but I guarantee you that when I do finally see it, and it will happen, it'll be like Saturday morning at nine thirty in the morning. That's probably the right that's time. That's exactly to see it. what I want to watch when I watch those. 
So my two favorite Roger Mitchell movies, one of them is based on an Ian McEwan movie, uh, novel. It's called Enduring Love, which stars Daniel Craig and uh, Reese Ifans. Uh, how do we pronounce his last name? I guess Ifans. I think it's Ifans and Samantha Morton, correct? And Samantha Morton. And it's about um, this guy who there's a, there's this truly harrowing hot air balloon incident, accident that happens uh, in Enduring Love that is utterly, like, it's filmed incredibly well and it's fully unsettling. And then the bulk of the movie ends up being about Reese Fons becoming more and more kind of obsessed in this, like, post-traumatic kind of way with Daniel Craig's character. And it's, like, increasingly unsettling and it's a really, really good creepy movie that nobody ever talks about not even in the context of any of the actors or anything like that it's i don't know you and have you seen this movie or no i know of that movie and i remember that movie being more in the cultural consciousness around the time of hyde park on hudson and that roger mitchell was the type of director we could take seriously doing this film yeah but i think since it's fallen out of any consciousness which is interesting i mean daniel craig we know as james bond right now right but you know whenever there's like one of those superstar franchise people it's interesting i think when what gets remembered and what gets forgotten as the before they were james bond movies you know? Oh, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Well, also, uh, Roger Mitchell directed a movie called The Mother, which also stars Daniel Craig as this guy who ends up... I've never seen The Mother. I only know it by, like, reputation. But he ends up yeah. involved with this older woman. Um, anyway, my other favorite Roger Mitchell movie is The Weeknd from 2013, which is Jim Broadbent and Lindsay Duncan play a married couple of some age who... Um, it's tough to sort of it's tough to kind of wrap up what's going on in their marriage exactly there's a dissatisfaction there they're not exactly breaking up but by the end they're like they go through this thing where you think like they might end up breaking up where they take a trip to Paris and it's sort of a anniversary trip and it's supposed to bring the spark back into their marriage but it also brings up a lot of their problems and a lot of their dissatisfactions with each other and it's just nothing big happens in it but it's a wonderful sort of character study of these two and jeff goldblum shows up and sort of goldblum's around a little bit but it's it's a wonderfully uh well observed little movie i feel like and well acted like broadbent and lindsey duncan are both like fantastic in it and if you're into that sort of genre of your I have loved you so longs and um, sort of these like older women having, you know, hello, my name is Doris, like those kinds of movies, that kind of genre, which is a genre I really love. The Meddler is one of those movies. I think Lou Weekend fits in very, very well in with those. And yeah, I feel like, you know, what we talk about when we talk about Roger Mitchell, and I always find myself advocating for those two movies because they fully end up lost in his filmography i feel like he's a very interesting filmmaker he makes very you know movies that are more than meets the eye almost always and then there's other Hyde than Park Hyde on Park Hudson. On Hudson. <laughs> yeah other than Hyde Park on Hudson which is the most like high concept of his ideas where it's just like oh FDR entertains the royal family at his country estate in the Hudson Valley like that's as concepty as of a movie as he's really gotten, except for maybe Notting Hill. But this well, one, well, then I, let's talk about the how this did not succeed at the Oscars. Then let's talk about that now. I um, think part of it is just the fact that it's not a good movie, and I think we can maybe talk about a that a little bit. It's so it was very poorly reviewed. It or at best the reviews were tepid. It's a thirty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, fifty-five on Metacritic, which I think the disparity in those numbers say exactly what is wrong with this movie because at best it's just like it's a mild failure. Yeah. And at worst it's bad. Like it's I'm so surprised that Ebert gave this three out of four stars. Although I guess like I mean 
it's not like I'm always in lockstep with what Ebert likes and doesn't like, but, or liked and didn't like, but it's tough for me to see anybody getting enthused about this movie. I think at best it's pleasant and at worst, I think it's a mess. I think it's just, I think it's moment to moment. It's at best. It is like you said, it is perfectly fine and pleasant to watch. And at its worst, which could happen any minute in the movie, it's, really bad it's also just like this 90 minute movie that you forget about the second it's over oh for sure but also it's so odd to me because the whole movie came about because the screenwriter richard nelson who was a playwright um after the real life uh daisy suckley uh died who she lived to like she was 90 something years old she died in uh, 1991, and like literally under her bed was found this like box of letters and diaries and journals um, that detailed this close relationship she had with President Roosevelt. And so she was uh, in you know in her life a resident of Rhinecliff, New York, in the Hudson Valley, and so was Richard Nelson. And so he felt this kind of kinship to her. There, he even mentions in interviews how he like met her once um, in her in her later life, uh, seemingly in passing. Um, and so he was moved to write this movie about her and about her experiences. And yet the movie for long stretches becomes fully disinterested in her as a character when it gets to like the Royals are here and everything about, I think everything about, um, the King and Queen and their attempts to, kind of find ways to relate to Roosevelt and find ways to interact with him, I think are much more at least interesting, if not great. I think those are the most interesting parts of the movie. And, and the every funniest time, parts of the movie. Yeah. And every time they cut back to, to Daisy, to to Laura Linney, it's just... It's the same note. It's, it's the same she's note. Just it's this dull. kind of like sad sack... Yeah. character that we never know anything about on any level and it's kind of a shame that they cast like a Laura Linney who's great at giving shades of a character who's even like we don't aren't given that many details about but Laura Linney is always compelling right where she kind of fills in the gaps with For sure like, and she doesn't even get the opportunity to do that because the movie doesn't care about her largely with the exception of like bookending the movie, mostly through narration even. Also, I don't even think, I mean, I think Bill Murray's a talented actor. I don't see what he's doing in this movie. I think a lot of this movie is supposed to, is purporting to be like, this is why all these women ended up sort of, you know, wrapped up in this man's aura and orbit. And because at this point he's, you know, he's kind of an eccentric kook. Um, who is also happens to be president of the United States, but I don't see in his performance what like Laura Linney and Elizabeth Marvel and Olivia Williams are all kind of drawn to with him. I think a lot of that is partly because Bill Murray is incredibly miscast in this movie. Yes. And I don't think he's very good. I mean, no. I think that the cast is largely pretty good and fun and is the best part of the movie. And I think he's easily the worst performance of the principal players. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that, honestly. Um, I don't think Linny's doing her normal best either. But I think a lot of that is her being hamstrung by yeah. what's on the page. I think your best performances, you mentioned Olivia Coleman. Um, I think Elizabeth Marvel, for what little she gets to do, is great. And I'm curious enough about what Olivia Williams is doing as Eleanor Roosevelt that I wish she were in more of the movie than she is. She's really not in the movie that much. She's no. in it less than Elizabeth Marvel is. And it's a movie that's very sort of like upfront about like, you know, these sort of whispered secrets about Eleanor Roosevelt. But I'm just like, just make an Eleanor Roosevelt movie then. Yeah. I don't know. I tough. I, I sometimes feel bad when I review a movie from the perspective of what it isn't ver- versus what it is. But I think this movie doesn't really give me a whole lot of what, what it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, it, it's, yeah, it's very flat. It's very unnuanced. Uh, again, it's like 90 minutes, which normally is a good thing. But 
don't, I don't know. Maybe it needed more room to breathe to kind of give us details and hook yeah. us in a little bit more. Also, it's filmed in England. It's supposed to be in the Hudson Valley, and it's filmed in England. I remember reading a couple uh, interviews. I think this was also with Richard Nelson, where he was like, they filmed it in England and not in the Hudson Valley, but you could never tell. And it's like, yeah, I can tell. I don't know. There's a little, if you're going to like go so much as to put the location in the title as the title, (laughs) like it really needs to have that feel to it. And really, you know, that cliche of the location being a character, but it should, and this doesn't. I think the fact that it's not very good and that a lot of people were very largely put off by the whole incest hand job part of it. Yeah. I think a huge part of why people were resistant to this movie because it wasn't even very successful at the box office. It only made $6.3 million. Yeah. I think from an awards perspective, it is coming just a few years after the King speech where you're looking at the same characters, even in the same light. And I think after the King speech won, people were really sick of that story. Yeah. Although it's funny when the crown came around and Jared Harris played that character, um of the king people were interested again and Mm -hmm. um or at least like i feel like people really enjoyed that performance that he gave in that first season of the crown but that was a good six years after the fact after the king's speech so this was only two years yeah i think you're right so it's like you're yeah trying to chase a best picture winner at least in the public's eyes even if this movie's trying to do something very different yeah. but i do think the unfortunate um recency between movies didn't help it whatsoever that's true it did manage to attract some awards attention which i always find you know interesting for these kinds of movies and whether it's i think something like the golden globe nomination for bill murray that feels like a vestigial uh remnant of the Oscar buzz that had existed earlier in the year for it. And, um, but again, like I can't imagine there weren't plenty of, you know, more deserving people to have gotten that nomination. I'm trying to think of, let me see who he was up against for that. Um, Well, Hugh Jackman won for Les Mis. Uh, Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, Ewan McGregor for Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, that was that year, Jack Black for Bernie, that's a good one. I mean... That's a good nomination. That was the year of 21 Jump Street, right? At the very least, like, throw Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill in for being, like, the two best people in an actual comedy that year. And I'm only kind of half kidding, because I think they're great in that. Um, But... It's also a nominee at one of our favorites, the AARP <gasps> Movies for Grown Up Awards. Yes! Richard Nelson was writing, uh, was nominated for his screenplay. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Coleman was nominated for supporting for the British Independent Film Awards. She won. She wasn't even just nominated. She won. Oh, she won. Um, and then there's also a nomination at one of the like ghost awards bodies. <laughs> The Satellite Awards nominated Laura Linney as Best Actress. All right, can you can you tell us? I know you're the Satellite Awards are a pet favorite of yours. The, it, they're just okay. I will say there is some like Schadenfreude humor here. The Satellite Awards, formerly known as the Golden Satellite Awards, when they changed their name in two thousand and three, they they're notorious for being generous. Like, Overly generous. Like, they were nominating random numbers of people, like seven and eight nominees. Laura Linney is one of seven nominees this year, um, including two movies that are definitely foreign films that did not receive um, U.S. releases. So it's a little bit of a head scratcher there. But one of the bigger stories that came out about these people, because I don't think they've ever been taken seriously, even by actual like people who just hound awards like ourselves um they've never been taken seriously but they were caught nominating the wolf of wall street (laughs) for several awards and they hadn't seen it (laughs) like it was not screened for them they're a group of about 200 press people online and in print from around the globe and the wolf of wall street was not screened for them but they still nominated it for stuff doesn't it feel like the Golden Satellites are an awards body that, like, with, like, a smart enough 
plot or or plan for it that we could all sort of take it over that like one by one like we get in you know inducted into whatever critical organization there is yeah but they're like they're like are they secretive they they must be or something because it feels like we should all be able to get into it and like nominate for their awards and like pick some crazy stuff like go wild yeah but like nobody knows who any of their people i'm sure if you dig enough on their website you could find their membership but it's a little it's different than the golden i think the golden globes we sort of think about this too about like the fact that it's this sort of small insular little group who you know is fond of a cocktail party now and then sure who isn't um but i think everybody sort of talks about the golden globes and kind of the glad handing and and star fuckery star fuckery that happens there but the golden and the satellites will nominate people that are they they've had some dubious nominations that it's like you you want a famous person to show up at your award ceremony sure and the golden globes are the same way but i feel like the golden globes have a decent track record of a decent enough track record of supporting movies that the oscars didn't or wouldn't that i'm always going to sort of smile at them and feel like you know like y'all crazy but also like you're giving a nomination to burlesque when no one else would. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And I have to I have to appreciate it for that. You know what I mean? You're giving awards to Gene Hackman for the Royal Tenenbaums when the Oscars wouldn't. Like that kind of thing. Um the satellites, but the satellites are a little, chase Oscar buzz almost more. Like they They're a little bit closer up... to the Critics Choice Awards in a way that like yeah. I don't respect. <laughs> and it, well again trying to get like the famous people if you go on their website and you look at the people that have shown up there it's a little disarming and funny like if you go further back like you'll see people like William H. Macy holding their trophies but on their main page it's like Diane Warren John Carroll Lynch um, alright I'm just going to tell you this any awards organization that gives Diane Warren an award, even though the Oscars haven't yet, gets a little bit of love from me, as far as I'm I concerned. really hope that our listeners are prepared for us. If Diane Warren has written a song for like Star is Born or something this year, we're going to be fully annoying trying to get Diane Warren her Oscar. Finally. Uh, gonna be is kind of in the rear view for me. I have been annoying for Diane Warren, and I will continue to be the most annoying for Diane Warren. It's going to happen. Some of her original song nominations are fully strange. Yes, they like, are. That you did not know that that was a Diane Warren song. Yeah. And yet... Look it up, listeners. If they would have just nominated or given her the award for Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, nothing... We wouldn't have these problems today. Like, I don't understand it. God, that would have been a great Oscar win. I love that song. Me too. Um, yeah. Do All you right. have any final notes on Hyde Park on Hudson? I mean... No, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie that I have that has a lot of actresses who I love in it who are giving good performances and I just wish they could be magically transported into something else. I think or if the movie was pointedly about just the women. Right. Like I think the central plot of this movie, the central Bill Murray and Laura Linney of this movie is pretty terrible and it makes me not like FDR. <laughs> like, <gasps> you know what I mean? It just I don't know. It's a little gross. Little gross. I what mean, are your final thoughts on uh, on Hyde my Park? My final thoughts, thing? you know, just to bring it full circle to some of our first conversation points, and to make me sound more like a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> first of all, my favorite thing about this movie is Samuel West line reading of hot dogs. Hot dogs. Yes. He pronounces it that way every time, and I kept saying hand jobs in the way that he says hot dogs. So it's hand jobs. <laughs> Ten jobs. Truly, um, this movie has given us so much. And maybe the movie should have been called Hen Jobs on Hudson. Right, right. Hyde Park on Hen Jobs. Oh, boy. That's a good note to leave out on. Do we want to go to the IMDb game? Yes, let's IMDb game this. All right. So IMDb game, we ha- we'll do this every week to close out our episode. Every, uh, every actor in the IMDb has four movies that are listed as they're most known for. And... The game here is we quiz each other to see if we can guess what those four movies are. Um, After two incorrect guesses, we are given the years 
that uh, those movies are from, and then we essentially attempt to make a final guess. But because also, it's funny, I'm, I'm kind of hoping people are like paying attention to this and marking down how many we get right according to the rules, because at some point we just start giving each other hints because... Or how many hints we need. So do you have a IMDb game entry for me to guess? I do. Again, this one, I think this is going to be easier than you think it's going to be. Okay. But, like, I feel like I'm already gaining a reputation of being far more hard on you with your options. Yeah, you, you give me, me some tough ones. I will. Just because I like to, like, ruefully laugh at my choice. Okay, so. Rueful, rueful, rueful. Um, my IMDb person for you, my actor for you, is another actor who has also played Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He played FDR in the disaster piece Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. Oh, no. We are looking at John Voight. Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, crap. Oh, this do is I a go, really fun one. Do I go modern? Do I go classic? Do I go... I, I could help you out, and I'm just going to mm. give you the years up front. No, 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 no. Let me guess. Let me, little, let me, you're talking about a long career. Let okay. me play All by right. the rules. I want to play by the rules here. Um, I mean, his Oscar is for Coming Home, but is Coming Home going to be an IMDb game thing? I think maybe no. Um, the answer for that is no. It is not Coming Home. Is Ali one of them? No. Okay. Is Anaconda one of them? Anaconda! Yay! Yes. Okay. All right. So we're, we're, we're along these lines. Okay. Um, is Varsity Blues one of them? Varsity Blues is not one of them. I'm going to give you years because you've already had two no's. All right. We're looking at 1969. Okay. 1972 and 2007. Is 72 Deliverance? Yes, it is. Okay. 69 is, it was not nominated for this, I believe. You're talking about a Best Picture winner, a notorious one for... Oh, of course. A Midnight Cowboy. Yes. Yeah. All right, and then the what's the other one, year? It's 2007. Okay, so 2007. A John director Voight. I have already mentioned directed him as FDR, Michael Bay. Oh, um, is it Transformers? Yes, it's Transformers. I don't remember him being in Transformers, and that's the one I've seen. That's um, the one I've seen, too. He plays a defense secretary, I guess, which, sure. So John Voight, Anaconda, Midnight Cowboy, Transformers, and Deliverance. So, all right, excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Not as bad as you thought it would be, right? No, no, definitely. I thought I was going to be in the weeds on it for a while, so that's good. Um, yours, I think, is a little bit easier, although we'll see. One of the Roger Mitchell movies that you didn't mention, um, is Changing Lanes, which is Ben Affleck and Samuel L. Jackson, and there's a traffic dispute or something on, I will say, I remember that they, they switch briefcases, and, yeah. like, it, they're both going to court or something, and their briefcases get switched at this traffic jam, which, like, if you ever needed to know that a movie was about two heterosexual men, yeah, yeah. It, the like, the movie is predicated on them not being able to tell what their distinct, like, man bag looks like. Like, it's about straight guys. Care to guess what the connection to Hyde Park on Hudson for this movie is? Is it going to be Ben Affleck? No, it's the fact that the automobile accident happened on the FDR roadway in New York City. Whoa! <laughs> uh, one of the people who's in this movie, who I had no idea, is one Miss Tony Collette. So oh, I'm going to give you to Tony guess Collette. Tony okay. Collette's known for. You know, Connie and Carla is definitely not on there. Sure isn't. But, but it should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, justice for Connie and Carla. Um, yeah. I'm just going to go right out there and say TV is on here and United States of Terror is there. No, no television and no voiceover. Damn. That's right. Okay. One of the rules of the game is that we have to say that up front. All right. Can that count as like not one of my wrong guesses? No, it's not. Running around, no, because I should have said that there's okay. no television. Um, well, The Sixth Sense. Yes. Uh, Muriel's Wedding. Yes. Hereditary. No, no hereditary. Probably too That's new. the thing. It's always really hard to tell because IMDb game, the recent ones are not 
it takes a while. It takes a while it for the recent ones to filter in. Yeah. Okay. So I have two. Yes. Um, with one strike against you. Little Miss Sunshine. Yes. That's three. Yeah. I'm trying to. Think. I think you're gonna get this. And I haven't. I don't have anything wrong. Yet. You have one wrong. You guessed uh, Hereditary. Oh, okay. I guessed Hereditary. Uh, I'm trying to think strategically of like the supporting roles she's played in boy movies because I think that this is male skewed, their algorithm. Uh huh. So it's a dude movie. Um, it's a boy movie. But the way way back. No. All right. So now with two strikes against you, you get a year. Uh, two thousand two. And when I say it's a boy movie, I don't mean that only boys like it, but I mean, I mean, literally the next sentence out of my mouth is going to be the title of the movie. Uh, uh, it is it seriously about a boy? It's about a boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for boys. It's you about are literally a boy. putting it right in front of my face and listeners are probably screaming at me. I love like, it is a- I love that. Uh, a boy is in the title. Okay. Hugh course. Grant and cherub-faced young Nicholas Holt. Um, what God, a great movie so that is. so close to a nomination for that movie. I know. Uh, it's so good. It's so wonderful. That was, that was I, I like the way that you uh, systematically went through that, Chris. That was fun for me. I love also when I, it, like, it comes to my head, I have like a good four-second freak out before I can get <laughs> yep. the words out of my mouth. Exactly. Exactly. Just as a side note, at this point, do we think Tony Collette's going to happen this year? No, but I'm excited for the campaign. I'm excited for the groundswell of people being like, it should happen. Okay, um, so I I will make my case, and this is maybe a dubious case to make. What else does A24 have to push? Because I think the people that are like, mid-90s is going to happen, and we'll see what happens with that movie. I think that's, just from the trailer alone, I think that's crazy i agree i just don't know if necessarily a24 has a slot in best actress do you know know what i mean that's that's probably fair but i don't know what's happening with best actress already and i think that they're gonna push hard for her because they don't have anything to push i was having a conversation reformed i was having a conversation the other day with uh my friend richard lawson who does uh the little gold men podcast at vanity fair he's the chief critic over there and we were talking about how a lot of this year feels very unknown. It feels like yeah. this Oscar year, as a contrast to last year, when there was Get Out early in the year and Dunkirk in the summer, everything this year feels very much, it feels like a series of unoverturned stones. And everything... I also think a lot of the sure bets, like the things we would normally be, we would expect to be like, oh, that's happening, that's happening a lot of those like trailer and you can't judge it all from a trailer. No. But a lot of those trailers look bad and spell not good future for some of these movies. Yeah. So I think it's a very exciting fall that we're moving into, but it also means that it's your guess is really as good as mine. So maybe there aren't going to be a whole ton of great strong, you know, stronger cases for best actress than Tony Collette. And maybe the fact that she's been out here for most of the year drawing these raves i just feel like the subject matter is still going to be a hurdle i think a straight horror movie is still viewed as in a different bucket but it's a new academy with you but i think specifically for her performance there are a lot of ways you can maneuver around that talking about her performance. it's a campaigner's dream because it's literally just like all you're doing is finding like you have that entire lane to yourself you have you know i don't know i think she's so good she absolutely deserves a nomination this year i don't care what else comes this year we'll still be talking about that movie and her performance for the rest of the year i don't i think it's going to be hard to drown her out well, I hope but you're anyway, right. that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should definitely also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you and the rest of your work. Sure. Every day you can find me at decider.com. I will be writing about film and television and everything that is on streaming. You can also find me on Twitter 
chatting my fool head off and saying dumb things. Uh, I am at Joe Reed there. R-E-I-D is how I spell Reed. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Chris V. File. That's V-F-E-I-L. Same way that Joe spells his last name. Um, I'm also at the Film Experience. You can catch me there writing about soundtracks, Oscar season, uh, movie history ephemera, um, and... Yes, darling, yeah. ephemera, darling. Ephemera! Ephemera. That's all we're <laughs> Ladies about and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, setup. Ephemera. <laughs> that would be a good drag name. I would love a drag king to be Oscar Ephemera. Oh! You have now created a persona, darling. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'd also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork that we adore for the podcast and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, once again, a five-star review would be very, very appreciated by Joe and I, and it also helps get us noticed on the iTunes charts as well. And, of course, we are a podcast that knows the value of some accolades. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye.